Hey folks, this is Mark from the Partially Examined Life. What you're about to hear is around the first 15 minutes of an hour and 20 minute discussion between Stephen West, host of the Philosophize This podcast, our own Dylan Casey, and we are very excited to hear from David Buchanan, who was our guest on one of our most popular older episodes on Persig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. This will be our after show to episode 110 on Alfred North Whitehead. The after show is sort of the discussion section, whereas the episode is something like the lecture, to use an academic analogy. And this one gets more into the nitty-gritty of process philosophy, how that relates to science, how Whitehead relates to other process philosophers. Now, I want to emphasize that while this discussion had just those three people on it, the whole thing is designed to be an audience participation event. And I want to invite you to check out episode 111 that will come out next week on Hans-Georg Gadamer and hermeneutics, and then to join us via Google Hangout on March 8th at 4 p.m. Central Time, where Stephen will host the after show with Seth Paskin. Now, to listen to the whole Whitehead after show discussion, or to join the discussion on Gadamer, you're going to want to sign up to be a Partially Examined Life citizen at partiallyexaminedlife.com. Now, even if you're not a citizen, and really, there's no excuse for you to just not pay the five bucks and just get on there. But regardless, if you get on our Facebook group on March 8th at 4 p.m. Central, then we will try to remember to post a link to the YouTube discussion of the live Google Hangout event. So you can participate in real time and even submit questions that the participants will try to keep an eye on. In any case, I hope you enjoy this little taste of the discussion. Now, here is Stephen West. I'd like to thank everybody that became a citizen last week following the after show that we did before on Jaspers. I'd like to uh, thank everybody that listened. And this is going to kind of be an ongoing evolution. As long as these things continue, we're going to keep learning from our mistakes. And one lesson that we learned last time is that there needs to sort of be a launching pad for the rest of the discussion. So that said, I would like to pose a question to Dylan. And I mean, that can serve as sort of a, uh, a starting point. All right, Alfred North Whitehead, David and Dylan, have you guys ever been to Yelp.com before and checked out a review about some restaurant that you wanted to go to? Now, what did you see when you went to that website? Well, I'll tell you what you saw. Ultimately, what you're seeing on Yelp.com is a collection of how individual minds have experienced Burger King in the past. If Burger King's the restaurant that they're going to leave a review about. They've done this with all sorts of augmentations and handicaps. Handicaps meaning one of them might have had some sort of seeing impairment or hearing impairment. They've written their synopsis at home in all sorts of different emotional states. If you were trying to do an unbiased documentary on Burger King... Yelp.com would not be the place that you go to try to arrive at gathering unbiased facts, right? This is a very crude example of what I think is an insight that underlies all of Whitehead's subsequent work, that if science wants to conduct any sort of meaningful inquiry at all, they should stop thinking about it in terms of how the mind perceives the natural world and start thinking about it in terms of what the natural world actually is. Now, it was through this faulty assumption that we arrived at the idea that substance is a placeholder, you know, the, the idea of substance, substance as a placeholder. And then from there, we mistakenly just accepted it as the truth. Dylan, as a celebrity particle physicist, as a Stephen Hawking's friend and mentor, the man who single-handedly revolutionized quantum mechanics, would you mind if I picked your brain about my layman's pathetic distortion of modern physics that might validate Whitehead's metaphysics and it can serve as that launching pad that I talked about before. Would you mind if I asked you a few questions? Uh, sure. All right. So here's the way I understand it. And please correct me as soon as I'm done. We have this assumption that the universe is made up of independent physical things made up of substances that interact with each other, right? This, this underlying substance that we can't see because of the limitations of our eyes as human beings. And that substance is responsible for all of the attributes that we assign to it. But when you're holding a piece of newspaper and you light the piece of newspaper on fire and it burns and it smokes and it disappears into the sky, 
that newspaper doesn't cease to exist just because you lit it on fire, right? Like, that newspaper is is just a physical representation of energy. And when you light it on fire, it's converted into heat energy that goes in, in, into the atmosphere, and it goes and lives like heat energy does for the rest of its days. But it, it's not gone. It just has been co- converted from one type of energy to another type of energy. So you can look at atoms and break down atoms into neutrons and protons and electrons. Electrons aren't even physical, I think they've realized now. They keep coming and going into different dimensions, popping in and out of existence. You break neutrons and protons up, they become quarks and things like these immaterial things. So is what Whitehead is talking about, ultimately that relationship between energy is responsible for these physical things that are around us, as opposed to there being some sort of substance that we can attribute to that? Yeah, I think that when you started articulating the question about the newspaper, you immediately began giving a kind of whiteheadian response, process philosophy kind of response to substances, and that they really are arrangements of things coming and going and evolving and changing, and that the flaw that Whitehead's trying to point us away from is that you have a sort of a building block universe made up of some number of fundamental entities that are bound together by forces or properties or characteristics of those entities. And out of that, you get all of the actions and interactions of the world. And that that was sort of the flawed way you wanted to talk about the newspaper. And then your response, I think, was seemed like whitehead to me. Thinking about the fundamental reality as it truly exists or as Whitehead proposes it truly exists. Thinking about it in terms of energy's relation to each other and this this non-material stuff's relationship to each other and then that being represented in physical form, that's not an oversimplification? Because I thought you were just going to lay into me right here. Tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about. No, I mean, I think there's maybe some more to say and more interesting discussion to talk about material and the kind and what Whitehead is responding to in this kind of very Newtonian world. And whether or not the entities in quantum mechanics, like an electron, what we'd mean by the material of that electron or not, and, and how that's manifest. But the short answer is no. I think that, you know, the notion that the world is made up of energies that are interacting and coalescing and coming in and out and sort of some kind of roughly quantum field theory view of the world is, and that interpretation of it is, that's Whitehead, but that's also a lot of other ecologically organ, organiz, organism um Dylan, are you drunk thinking. right now? No, I'm, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not. Let me see if I, I'm following this. It, very roughly speaking, Aristotle's notion of substance has been evolved and has now been translated into scientific physicalism. And so, you know, scientific realism is going to take physical ent- entities to be something like the ultimate substance, the real thing that they're trying to get at. Yeah, I think that there's a sub-discussion in realism which has to do with whether or not those fundamental entities are substances or materials in sort of the normal way we think of it. I mean, the typical way, like when you think of an atom, would be it's just a smaller version of something we interact with every day. And I think this is one of the reasons why Whitehead wants to in the concept of nature, he wants to point to special relativity. You know, he wrote that book before quantum mechanics. <laughs> so, yeah. But that field theoretical understanding that he's interpreting on gravitation 
is also going to show up even though it doesn't get unified isn't unified with gravity in terms of quantum field theory maybe we call it physicalism now instead of materialism because this recognition that the physical universe isn't just mass but all kinds of forces that don't involve a part of the realism is the notion that well atoms actually exist or electrons actually exist it's not just an idea that there's a correspondence between what we're talking about in our their mathematical account and the world and that correspondence is holds up that's part of the realism this is part of what whitehead is disputing right the the correspondence theory kind of takes a hike with the process philosophy doesn't it i know it does in the case of james and persig i just assume it would with Whitehead as well, because he's getting at, what do they call that, the vicious bifurcations? Isn't he talking about the bifurcation between subject and object? Yeah, I think his intention is for it to take a hike. I don't know if it necessarily does. I mean, even during his time, didn't people say that nobody really understood his philosophy that well? I remember hearing a story about him giving a lecture at Harvard. Like 120 people came to the lecture, and by the end of it, nobody understood what he was talking about. In fact, I think there was some guy that said that if I didn't know that this guy was a genius, I would have mistaken him as somebody that was just making it up as he went along. And he gave a lecture the next week or you know, a month later or something, and only six people came to it or something. I mean, that is just very illuminating of just how little, how few people truly understood what this guy was even talking about. I think it is a hallmark of Whitehead, just how you know ahead of his time he was, really. I wonder if the concepts that he's trying to get across are really so difficult to understand or if it's just sort of a language problem. I mean, I just can't tell what he's saying. I can't dispute it or criticize it or agree with it because I just don't know what he's saying. The meaning of his sentences eludes me, so I can't get to the ideas. I have to get, you know, from secondary sources and comparisons. And even then, I don't have the vaguest idea that it's similar to other process philosophers. It just sounds kind of familiar. I guess we can... Without having the ambition of grasping all of his thought, I mean, part of the challenge there is that we've read one book of his, and um, the concept of nature is it's not process and reality, which is sort of his his big tome that in principle is supposed to summarize everything. But I think that you can get a couple different pieces of what he's going after, and I think we've already touched on one of them. One is reacting to... Aristotelian materialism, or a particular version of that, that David brought up, and the idea that the universe is made up of individual entities that have their own permanent, eternal integrity and properties, and that the resulting variety in the world is due to arrangements of those permanent, unchanging entities with properties and their interactions. Whitehead disagrees with that. So that's, that's one part of it. And I think the other is, in his case, trying to link up the notion of a, the way we come up with objects in the world, if everything is really fluid underneath and how our experience of some kind of permanence is on the one hand illusory, but on the other hand has content. So he wants to talk a lot more about comings and goings of things and how the interactions in the world end up aggregating so that we have the experience in time and space of an object that seems to have permanence, but that 
is somewhat illusory in that it's actually constantly changing. That if you look at the box or the table or whatever, and you go out of the room and you come back in the room and it's still there, it's what's the fallacy of misplaced concreteness, where we think that it is a concrete, unchanging object that maybe we can cut up or whatever, but it's not. It's actually constantly changing, constantly moving, and it's a kind of illusion of our perspective that we don't see it, pay attention to the fact that it's constantly moving. And he would point to something like quantum mechanics that would actually reveal that to us. That, you know, if you went and looked at the table very, very closely, you'd see actually all the atoms are moving around in some way or another at different levels of magnitude. And it's constantly changing that there are particles boiling off of it and shapes of it are changing. And so the rigidity and permanence of it is a manifestation of the slice of time we're looking at and how far away we are from it. The simple way to say it is that he thinks that the only way we can account for change is to understand that change is the fundamental thing. The motion is the fundamental thing in the universe. And that permanence and entities are a manifestation of our experience of that change, rather than those entities and objects are the fundamental things and them changing is on top of that. It's really motion and flux are the primary thing and that the entities that arise out of that, those are impermanent manifestations. Yeah, I'm glad you said flux because it reminds me a lot of Heraclitus when I yes. hear him t talking yes. about it. This is, I, yeah. I don't know if he was influenced by him or not. I guess it doesn't even matter. But this is something that I want to ask you. This veil of perception, this thing that precludes us from arriving at or seeing this underlying nature for what it actually is, but we end up seeing it as all of these attributes and seemingly physical things. And science's goal is to arrive at conclusions about causes within nature or some facsimile of truth based on induction. And if that is our primary means as a species of arriving at conclusions about the natural world, I think something that Whitehead alludes to, and it's something that's very interesting to me, is that what if this underlying nature is something that we can never experience, ever? We'll ultimately always be in a state of ignorance. I might be confused about this, but I'm thinking that the true things that science is searching for are abstractions and theories that are mistaken for concrete realities. That his criticism, this fallacy of misplaced concreteness, is about mistaking our own abstractions for real entities. And so if reality is constantly in a state of flux and if it's constantly flowing, then the only thing that you get, the permanent object kind of thing, is our idea that we abstract from the flux. And then we believe that the object is real rather than it's just a handy way for our, us to think about this persistent quality where the thing keeps showing up in our stream of experience. No, but it, it does make sense. But I also, I don't think Whitehead has any problem with the idea of us abstracting out those objects and talking about them and even writing equations based on them and doing measurements of the world based on them. And in that way, he's got a big streak of pragmatism running through him. They're like, well, this is, just, we have to talk about the world in terms of entities and objects. It, it's perfectly sensible to do that. But he sees a richness to the world based upon looking at it as a constantly evolving process that to him is the very source of our ability to do science. That in some ways, if the world is materialist in the way 
he's criticizing, then that points to an end to the scientific process that just is objectionable, that, you know, it would mean that you could figure it out rather than it being a constant process of refinement. And I think he's much more on board with the idea of it being refined and that the fact that it's the universe is made up of motion, it really saves scientific inquiry. It gives us a source for what we're actually looking for. You know, we can always go to the well and try to figure out more about the world. And we may end up revising it in ways that are small or maybe ways that are fundamental. But it's because the universe is made up of of motions and change that that is really the, the source of our ability to uh, go back to the well. So... On one hand, science could just be chasing a ghost because it's constantly trying to define... I mean, the nature of science is, is to define something, but you can't define something that's constantly moving ever exactly. And then the other end of that is that based on our own limitations, just our sensory abilities and how crude they are, we might not be able to arrive at what the underlying substance is that we're trying to define at all. If we accept Whitehead's worldview, does that make science... Not necessarily obsolete, but seem as though it is kind of obsolete because we're always just trying to define it based on attributes that we're seeing in the world. Or maybe that's the wrong word to use, but uh, well, you know, these I, physical I, manifestations of this energy reacting well, to each other. Yeah, but I think you'd object to the, your formulation of the question. Part of his book, The Concept of Nature, is trying to show how this flux view of the world really you end up with objects in it. So, you know, in those middle chapters, all the work he's doing about convergence of events and the way in which those events would separate in time and space is an effort to show that you get objects out of this. And it's consistent with our best knowledge of science as revealed in special relativity. And I think, you know, I haven't read any of the stuff he wrote after quantum mechanics, but my guess is he would say, as well as quantum mechanics, in fact, show us that this view of the universe as being constantly in flux is actually more true than a basic deep materialist view. And that his work that he's doing in those middle chapters is to show that there is a deep philosophical preference for it as well. I see. All right, that's all we're going to burden the public feed with. Please go to partiallyexaminedlife.com. Go to the free stuff for citizens page. If you are a member, just click the members menu at the top, and that will be one of the options. If you're not, go sign up. You'll be able to download an MP3 of the full hour and 20-minute discussion. And again, I encourage you to join us for the next one on March 8th at 4 p.m. You don't have to know anything about Gadamer. You just have to listen to the episode and have some question, something to say, some opinion. Don't be intimidated. It's all good. Thanks, as always, for listening. Good night.